This is the EP Growth Podcast from Hunter Rehabilitation and Health. We're here to grow the exercise physiology profession through supporting the professional and personal growth of young EPs in the industry. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the EP Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McAfee, the Director at Hunter Rehab and Health, and I've got a very, very special guest with me today, Aaron Ishak. How are you going, mate? Exercise physiologist, how are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Appreciate you you having me on. Big fan of your podcast, actually, and I, I love what you guys are doing. I listen to you guys, uh, yeah, religiously, so love what you guys are doing on your end, promoting our, promoting our profession. Thank you, mate. Likewise, I, I can see from uh, LinkedIn and the social channels that you share that, that same passion for the profession. And it's quite, quite rare. There's not too many of us uh, that are sharing that passion and re- really wanting to go out of the way to grow the profession. So it's, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on today, mate. Cheers, mate. Yeah, it's good. I'm seeing a lot more EPs slowly come out of their shells. So hopefully we get more and more of us, you know, pr- whether it's producing content or just posting regularly and educating people, hopefully more and more people know about EPs and what we do. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, what's tell us a little bit about your background, mate. Um, where'd, where did it all begin in terms of um, the decision to, to go down the EP routes and, um, and yeah, start from there? Yeah, well, I've always been into like my health and fitness. I've always been an active person. And originally, I guess, you know, when I wanted to go to uni, I wanted to be a physio because I actually didn't know what EP was, never heard of it. And then, so I went on and I did a Bachelor of Exercise Sports Science. And throughout that degree, that's when I got introduced to exercise physiology. And uh, I liked, I thought that was more for me. It was more, I liked the more functional side of things um, rather than sort of the more hands-on approach that physios take. So I thought I'm going to go down down this this path. So did my three years of exercise sports science and then did a year and a half of my master's in exercise, exercise physiology. And then, um, yeah, basically after my degree, um, I think I finished like 2017 around mid-year. So I think it wasn't until sort of end of that year or start of the next year, I decided to to dive in and start working as an EP. I was always working in the health and fitness industry as a as a PT or, or, or group group instructor. So I was within the field always. Uh, but to actually go and work as an EP, I started working for a company called Active Therapy, who I'm still contracting with today. Um, and I've also in the last couple of years been working on, in another clinic called InSync health clinic in, uh, in Marrickville. So they're the main two companies I work for as well as my own, my own business, my own clientele um, that I see uh, privately, which will be under the banner of movement masters. So got a few things going on at the moment. Awesome. Great to hear, mate. Uh, I just want to touch on that a little bit more. So you were PT throughout your entire undergrad uni, or did you start that halfway through or third year? Or uh, when did you come I PT? think it was, I think it might've been, uh maybe end of second year because there was a point where we covered enough subjects to get credited to be a pt so i think it might have been maybe end of second year roughly around there so the last year year and a half of of bachelor's degree started getting in, into it and then um yeah basically throughout from then on in i was and i still do a little bit of like pt stuff now i guess like private clients obviously i take an ep approach but i just get a regular healthy pop that just wants to get fit healthy and work on their strength and conditioning Excellent. And do you think that's benefited you quite a lot going straight into uh, into that first job as a, as a new grad, having that background or at least that year and a bit uh, worth of PT? 
Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, and I told EPs this when I speak to them. I say, if you get an opportunity to, you know, get uh, get qualified while you sort of reach an end of your studies, if you can, and start working um, in the gym, you know, as a group instructor or a PT, because you'll get to it, you put you in an environment to apply the knowledge that you're learning from your studies, and it also gets you into the field. It, it allows you to start building yourself, your character, you know, your communication skills, your interpersonal skills as well. So when it's time to go and work as an EP and deal with, I guess, you know, more uh, complex cases, which you'll probably see too. Like when I was doing group instructing, I was having clients say, oh, you know, I can't do this exercise, my back hurts or my knee hurts. And that's when you can put your EP brain on and go, okay, how can I modify this? So you're already applying, you know, those skills as an EP, but earlier on. So by the time you do work officially as an EP, you've already got that, that practice in already. Yep. 100% mate. I think it's uh, a huge, huge lesson for any listeners out there. My journey was exactly the same. So to at the end of second year, became a PT. And there's a lot of other skills as well that's involved in it that uh, are then traded into, into your career as an EP. It's time management, the ability to make appointments for, for yourself, the ability to build rapport with clients, communication, the ability to set some goals, achieve some goals, do some assessments, measuring um, all these things uh, will translate and yeah, give that head start going straight into that new grad year. But um, there's still obviously a lot to learn. So yeah, talk us about that new grad year, mate, that first year out of uni. What are some of the key things that you wish uh, you wish you knew uh, back then? Um, I guess a few things. I mean, some of the stuff we didn't really cover too much was sort of, I guess, especially with like the admin side of things, you know, like with NDIS we'll cover DVA, Medicare, the actual, the background, like, you know, the paperwork, the logistics behind it. Like, yes, we learned how to treat clients, but it, what we didn't learn the actual, you know, the paperwork, you know, how to put claims through, how to refer, you know, how to understand, you know, doing an AHR, which you do, I guess you've got to do the serial course, but just things like that, I would say would have helped a bit more if we, I don't know if maybe it was the uni I went to, or I don't know if they changed it now, but yeah, just maybe going a bit more deep into that would have been made things a little bit more easier. But I guess, again, that's something you learn on the job as well. Um, and then I'd say just the business side of things, you know, the, um, you know, the, the networking, having to visit doctors, uh, you know, uh, I'm just going out and, you know, going to networking events and, you know, the business, a little bit of sales as well and, and, and marketing and, and maybe even a little bit of, you know, how to produce content or, you know, content produce or marketing um, from an EP standpoint. So, yeah, I would say the business side of things is probably the biggest thing I wish that we covered a bit of because it would have, I get, and you'll still learn, even if you did cover it, you'd still learn once you enter the field, but at least you wouldn't sort of be shocked, you know, and have to kind of chase your tail a bit. So that would have probably been handy. But then again, better late than never. And I guess the best way to learn is to get your hands dirty. So once you do get out there and you start working for or a good company or under under somebody um you know to mentor you and coach you that's that's also that's also a good experience as well yeah i agree i think um i don't think they teach it in the unis at, at the moment but i think a, a key skill which uh, just come to my mind just since you mentioned that would be studying the fee schedules the the sira uh, fee schedules mm. the ndis fee schedules the dva fee schedules to have a look at the, the line items and what we can actually charge for and bill for because there's things on there that are quite hidden and we're not really aware of. Like, for example, there's one within NDIS called non-face-to-face service provisioning, which is actually you can bill for time spent um, yeah, chatting with um, 
yeah, coordinator of supports and, and helping them come up with their new plan. And that's something that uh, I've found chatting with plan managers that they would love to review once a year with the allied health professionals, sit in a room with the participant and, and, uh, and come up with their new plan, chat about goals. And that's what they want. And we can actually build for that time. There's a line item on there, but we wouldn't know unless you're actually studying that uh, hundred page document. So there's, um, yeah, there's lots of little things. There's case conferencing in DVA. There's actually case conferencing in Medicare um, line items okay. that no one, no one are aware of. So there's, um, it's quite interesting. I think, yeah, not only for business owners, but for, for practitioners to see what more value, what value can they add as well? Uh, Cause it's all about yeah, adding value as well. So super important. Um, but tell us a little bit more about, yeah, the marketing side of things, mate. Tell us about your experience uh, with GPs and GP meetings and, and nurses and, and things like that. I'm always curious because it's the unknown. You go into the into battle and and uh, everyone's got their own stories and, and experiences. Is it mostly positive, mostly negative? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a constant battle with a GP sometimes. So uh, my first experience was when I started working with active therapy, one of uh, my bosses, one of the co-owners who's actually an EP himself, um, he took me around and we did a few, you know, GP visits where, you know, we'd organize a bit of a, a lunch in and we'd go and, you know, we'd, you know, a couple of GPs at a time would come in, we'd have a chat 10, 15 minutes, whatever, during their break and just, you know, build that rapport and just let them know who we are, where we are, what we do. And, you know, you get, oh, okay, that's great. Yeah, I might have a few clients. And then, you know, you might speak to 10 GPs and, you know, in my experience, you're lucky if you know, two of them refer to you. And if they do refer to you, you're lucky if they refer enough to you. You know, they, they might refer at the beginning when it's fresh and they remember you. Uh, and but then after that, sometimes it, it could it can fizzle out. So that's why it's also important to, to I guess maintain maintain that relationship. Um, and then again, I've done my own sort of running around to, to GPs. And the other thing too, it's hard to get to them as well. Like you go and you speak to the receptionist, and they're like, "Oh yeah, do you have a card? We'll pass it on." Where it's like, "Well, I can give them my card, but you don't know if they're going to get it. Something could come up, they could forget." So I guess it's breaking through the. Um, uh, the admins as well and the administration staff to actually get to the client. So I found that GPs have been quite, and a lot of them are old school too. So they don't have that, I guess, urge to like network like us, our like health professionals do. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of hard. I found personally myself uh, to, to, to network with, with GPs. Um, you know, it's, it's a constant battle, but what I have found that, is I found success with is networking with other allied health professionals like other EPs, uh, physios, you know, uh, podiatrists, chiros, you know, you name it, nutritionists as well. You could, you know, and also of recent, I've been trying to really build my network of like, you know, support coordinators and people involved in NDIS or rehab consultants on the um, injury management return to work side as well. I find that they're more open to network, they're, their personalities are a bit different. So, yeah, that's that's what I found in terms of networking. But I guess there's a lot to learn with with GPs. There's probably a way to go about. I still need to do, still need to look at your webinar that, that you, you did as well, because um, I'm sure you've got a lot more experience on your end with GPs and how to how to break through. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, there's definitely some strategies within there, and I think it's um, I think you're right. There's a lot of old school uh, GPs there, and that aren't ready to change. And I think. But if we view it from the point of we only need one, two, three maximum relationships here, that's all we're really aiming for. So we're not going to satisfy everyone. Um, you can even, you could like in an ideal world, sustain your practice from, from one GP relationship. A GP will see 30 patients a day, 20 or 30 patients, and 
in an ideal world, if 50% of them have a chronic health condition, then he refers, yeah, 10, 15 of them a day. Like that's, it's, it's not unrealistic that that could be a, a reality. So it really is about just the numbers game and finding that right one. And um, analogy I like to use sometimes with my team is I've never been on there personally myself, but Tinder, um, you're not always going to find the right, right matches. You need to find one, don't you? And you got a lot of dates mm. that are unsuccessful. Um, a lot of dates that are unsuccessful and you're like, no, this person might be the right. No, it didn't turn out right. didn't turn out right. And you just need to get one, right? You just need to get one. And it takes time, um, years sometimes. And uh, I think that's the same thing with, with GPs. But you're exactly right with uh, allied health professionals be- because it is much easier because they're just like us. Um, they've got the same values, the same beliefs. They've been through the same uni program similar to us. So it is a lot easier to chat with them. Um, I find it makes uh, life a whole lot easier. And they've usually got a little bit more time as well. Um, mm. They've got some, they've got some time to to chat with you. So, um, yeah, that's a great learning to to leverage off the allied health space because they're seeing all the similar clients as well. Is there one that's yeah. is there is there a particular allied health uh, profession that is a stronger referrer than than others, or you find that works well? Um, I mean, I guess I'd have to say physios just because obviously with the two companies I work with, a lot of the referrals come internally from the physios, you know, especially like work cover, you know, once they've done physio, the next stage is EP. Yeah. Uh, so I do find that, um, yeah, physios, but of recent, I've noticed that support coordinators, especially in the NDIS are very open and willing to, 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 you know, have chats and build their network of allied health professionals too. So I've been having a lot of chats with support coordinators uh, within the NDIS field as well. So yeah, like you said, just their personality is really, really good. So I'm, I'm excited to see um, where that goes because they're very open people. They're very caring and willing, willing to, you know, exchange details. I went to a networking event yesterday, actually my first one, a plan partners one, and, you know, people come up and introduce themselves and hand out their information. So yeah, it's really great. And just quickly uh, before we move on, going back to what you said about the GPs, you know, you're right. It's a volume game and, you know, you only need one or two good ones. And if they refer 50%, which I personally think is conservative, I always say at least one in three, that goes, goes to a GP would probably benefit from an EP. You know, they've either got diabetes or, or a musculoskeletal condition where they could benefit. But sometimes they're, you know, referred to like a physio or, you know, where they could just come and see us. So, yeah, I think 50% is conservative, but it's a good number to, to aim for. Yeah, yeah, 100%, mate. So I think, yeah, it's been a little bit of time now since your, your new grad year. I think once we're out of uni, we've got to figure out a way to uh, to continue to learn and uh, we had a recent pod, uh, podcast guest on that mentioned that we've got to get 20 CPD points, but 20 CPD points is the bare minimum. We have to get, we have to get at least 20. So um, he really encouraged people to be doing more, just learning, 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 learning and growing because it's the only way we keep moving to the next level in our, in our career. But um, what type of things have you done throughout uh, yeah, last five years or so that have been instrumental in, in your learning and, and growth? Is it podcasts, books, a mentor, um, has there been something that's uh, helped you move to the next level? Yeah, well, funnily enough, so when I when I got out of university and I, you know, was had that little gap between starting as an EP while I was actually working as a PT, I got involved with like e-commerce. You know, I had a friend who was doing it, and I just got involved, and I was doing it on and off for many years. And what that taught me, that taught me a lot about marketing, and taught me a lot about um, you know customer service and you know building rapport with customers and how to sell and that got dived me into the world of self-development you know i had to start listening to podcasts and reading books on how to generate leads how to market how to sell how to communicate uh you know one of the best books i ever re- read was how to influence and influence people 
which is a great form of communication. And then those skills, I then obviously transferred over to an EP and I noticed how clients were reacting. You know, my ability to communicate with clients uh, from that development developmental experience, um, you know, showed. And, and they would always say to me, oh, you know, I used to go to another EP but or another, or I used to go to a physio or whatever, but, you know, they're not like you or, you know, things like that. Like, we like the way that you listen or, because sometimes, you know, as you know, some clients just want to talk, you know, they just want to, a mental release, you know, so the ability to, you know, active listening and all these skills have come from my experience through books and podcasts and, and my experience running, you know, online stores and things like that. So I know it's a bit of a different world to an EP, but the skills are transferable and that I believe has helped me become a great exit. Well, I'd like to say a good exercise physiologist. There's always room to improve. Yeah. Excellent. So what tips or recommendations would you have for someone uh, who's one or two years out who need to do their 20 CPD points? Where should they weight uh, the majority of those, those points towards in terms of what skills do you think are, are important for, for those new grads? I, I would say, so with the, with the CPD points, try to do courses in areas where you feel like you need a bit of improvement. So where you lack. So if you feel like, you know, I need to, or especially if you, you're working in a clinic and you're getting say, a lot of, knee clients but you don't feel comfortable do a few courses on the knee um, specifically if you can uh, but also I would definitely say because I'm pretty sure you can get a few points for, there's, on the ESSA website there's like business based courses as well if you can do at least one business course uh, I would highly recommend it if not um, you know at least dive into the world of business whether that's through podcasts you know your, you guys what you guys do is great I'll re definitely recommend EP Growth Podcast uh, books, you know, when it comes to books, don't overwhelm yourself. Maybe focus on maybe two or three key books. I personally recommend How to Win Friends Influence People as a start because that'll really work on your communication skills. Um, and don't overcram. Yeah, so I'd say just maybe one or two really good podcasts, um, especially one that's specific to EP and maybe one specific to like business and marketing. And then like one or two really good sort of books as well. And if you have the opportunity to and you're lucky enough to, Get yourself a mentor as well. Get yourself people who are where you want to be. You know, if, if you can have someone who is already where you want to head to, that's a no-brainer as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great tips there. And I think in order to achieve all those things, we need to we need to look at his exercise physiology as, as a career now as well because we're working our thirty-eight hour weeks uh, seeing patients. We're like, oh, I don't want to spend the weekend to to do do that course. I want to spend the weekend with my mates. So I want to do this. I want to do that. But that's, I guess, kind of the mind shift change that needs to happen. You need to spend some nights reading a book. Uh, you need to spend some early mornings listening to that podcast. You're like you've, you've got your hours of seeing your clients. Like there needs to be some extra curricular activities to go to that next level. Yeah, definitely. And I, if you're lucky enough to, depending on, you know, if you're a contractor or you work for someone, if you are able to like set aside a certain amount of hours a week on a certain day or a couple of days a week to say, okay, this is my day for professional development. You know, this is when I'm going to do courses. This is when I'm going to, um, you know, read my book, you know, uh, reach out to potential mentors. Um, that'd be great too. That's something I'm trying to do as well myself is, you know, I'm always on the, sort of the run on the road because I'm very remote with my work. I'm very mobile. So I'm always back and forth with clients, always on the road. So I use that to my advantage to listen to podcasts, which is great. But in terms of, you know, progressing forward and, you know, developing as an EP, I need to spend time on that development. So I try to set aside a few hours now um, 
to to do that you know uh whether that's reading um you know producing content myself you know and and, and engaging with other allied health professionals as well these things will will elevate you in the long term you know you shouldn't think short term you should think long term you know where's this going to take you in the next three to five to ten years is what i'm doing now in line with where i want to go basically yeah that makes perfect sense mate i think just to, to touch on the reading books as well one of my key um insights into reading books is we should really take away two or three key actions from that book and implement them uh, we could read all the books in the world but if you don't implement anything in it then yeah it's there's no point no point in just keeping it up in your brain we need to implement those those actions so anyone reading these books write down two to three actions and you learn learn to implement them in the next few months after that book and that way if you keep that habit up then you've got to be making progress rather than saying oh, i read 50 books a year Okay, cool. Like, what have you implemented? None of it. So it's, uh, it really is about implementation and not volume of books. Like I said, it's just about level of implementation and action afterwards. So very important. Um, yeah, distinct. Yeah, uh, a, little, a little hack as well, just to just touch on that is um, I've done this in the past where you can listen to the book and read the book at the same time. So you download the audio book and you read it. You tend to take in more because you're getting audio as well as visual feedback. So that's not a little little hack that people can try as well to retain information. And then you can also write things down, like you said, you know, from each chapter, maybe like, and read maybe one chapter at a time. Because if you read the whole book, it's going to overwhelm you. Maybe just read one chapter at a time, write a little summary yourself and then move on. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't say I've ever done that before. Can you tell us a little about that? So you've got the book open and obviously if you read, you're reading yeah. uh, not aloud, you're reading sort of in your mind, but listening to it at the exact same time. Yeah, so as you're listening to the audiobook, you're following the words on the actual book. Yeah. So it's like it's like if you were just reading it in your head as normally, but you've actually got someone reading it to you, but you're actually seeing the words as well as hearing the words as well. So just a like way that. to help you. Yeah, it helps you retain and it makes you focus more, I guess, too. Because I know for me, sometimes if I'm listening to an audiobook, especially if I'm driving, sometimes I can just lose focus and oh, I, didn't even, I forget what the person says. Or if I'm just reading, sometimes I'll just start thinking about something and, I'm like, oh, what did I just read? You know, so it kind of helps you focus a bit more too. Yeah, that's interesting. I might have to give it a go because I'm I'm an audiobook person. I've never I've maybe read one or two hard copy books in my whole life because yeah, I can't. I'll, I'll read two or three pages and realize I was thinking about the footy whilst I read those yeah. three 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 pages and realize oh wow, I didn't even retain that. So I can't I can't read books. Um, so I listen listen and retain everything when I'm listening. But um, that could be a a little uh, strategy. I'm going on holiday soon to Fiji, so I might take a book and um. Yeah, try try that strategy. Sit by the pool and yeah, retain it all. Give it a go. Great place to give it a great place to give it a go. <laughs> yeah, awesome, mate. Um, you're obviously super passionate about EP as as am I, and it's so good to to chat with people about that. Um, I think it's important, yeah, to get a view of what your vision for the profession looks like in the next ten years. So, what's what do you feel um, exercise physiology you know, looks like in in Australia? What changes do you think? Uh, there will be between now and say 2033? I would hope that we are seen as a, as a premium service. You know, I would hope that we are uh, sought after and we are more, um, uh, people know more about us like they do with physios. You know, very rarely does a person say, oh, I need to see an exercise physiologist. They're more like, oh, I need to go see a physio because I don't know what an AP is. 
So, you know, even now when I get someone who inquires about EP online at one of the clinics, I'll actually double check, do you need a physio or an EP? You know, because I'm like, I'm surprised you know. I mean, it's great, but I want to double check to actually book the right, the right allied health professional. So I really am hoping that we are up there because, you know, we, we're left out of a lot of, you know, a lot of platforms. Like, for example, um, you know, Mabel, I put a post up the other, other week. Mabel is a great platform, fantastic platform. And they don't have EP. They've only got physio. Um, and, you know, it's a shame because... Did they get back to you on that, place. by the way? No, they never did. I, they just said, oh, I look at something, we'll, we'll look... Oh, they never responded to my post. I think they liked it. But when I when I was speaking to them at the time, when I wanted to um, apply, they said, oh, you know, it's something we'll look into for the future. Right. So, but, I mean, I haven't really seen anything yet. And then the other day I was on... Um, it was called Health Engine, I think. I think it was mainly... It was mainly GP based, but they did have like physio, podiatry, chiro, and I couldn't see EP. And I was like, see, this is the problem here. Yep. We need to be here. We need to be seen. You know, people are using these platforms and more and more people are getting onto these platforms and we're not there. So how are we meant to help more people if, you know, we're not on these platforms? So there's that. So hopefully we're on all the platforms that all the allied health professionals are on. Yeah. And we're also taken more seriously, I guess. I mean, I feel like a lot of people can confuse us for like PT or a physio. So I guess just, I hope that people really understand what our role is and, and where we come in, in terms of improving their health, you know, like, and that, that might come down to us as EPs to really, you know, educate people and, you know, produce content or the way we market ourselves or whatever it is, or, you know, maybe it's going to within your local community, going into little uh, talks, you know, within your local community somewhere, maybe an aged care center or something. Um, these all, all these things will compound over time and our profession will be more recognized. But I think it is partly up to us. Obviously, we need the help of organizations, you know, ESSA and all these other platforms as well. But I think we need to play our role as well so that when people think of an EP, it's not just, oh, I'm going to go see an EP. It's, it's actually saying, oh, my God, you know, I'm seeing an EP. Like, that's amazing, you know. Like, they, I want them to get that feeling that this is going to transform their life, you know. So I'd like yeah. to see us up there as a prestigious uh, profession. Yeah, I love that, mate. It's, um, yeah, it's a really good vision to have. And I, I think we're heading in the right direction. But I feel, yeah, it's we want to, we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. And I think we need to think about what we can do. Obviously, we can blame yeah, other platforms and things like that. But we just need to figure out what's within our control. And yeah, hopefully with the listeners here, the, the new grads, the, the uni students, they understand the importance of promoting ourselves, um, understand the importance of marketing ourselves, building a social media platform, building um, those networks in the community. So, so important because it's for the profession. It's not just for, your, for yourself. You're doing something, uh, achieving something bigger than yourself here. You're, you're growing a profession that's ultimately going to affect the health of Australia. So, and, and the world even. So it is uh, an important, important task that we all need to be aware of. And, um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in what's actually required to get it to a premium service in terms of charging where, where we're at. I, I'm doing some investigating at the moment to figure out sort of what Australian EP clinics are charging and yeah, would love to have an influence over all of them is put a line in the sand on this date, uh, this month, this year, we all increase to this this price. So that's my that's my dream. I know not everyone's going to be on board, but if we all just yeah all do it together, then it will seem the norm rather than sort of one clinic doing it. Oh, they're way too expensive. This other clinic bulk bills down the road. Like, yeah, we we can't have that disparity because then one person's 
it's just still just devaluing the the profession. So I think, um, yeah, potentially we can put little stepping stones in to get to a point where, uh, where we're valued that way. Cause I'm interested, how did, how did psychologists get to that point where they're, where they're all 250 for a private session, they would have, yeah, they would have grown together um, and be like, oh, we're all doing it. That clinic's doing it. I'll do it. That clinic's doing it. I'll do it. Okay. We're a premium service now, which they are very valuable service, but that's how we have to work together as a, as a profession uh, to get to that point rather than saying, yeah, we'll bulk bill you a 20 minute session. That's no, not going to happen. I had, it's funny you say that. I actually had a similar thought recently about that. I'm like, what if we just, every AP just, we all just agreed to charge, you know, no less than a certain amount, you know, because like you said, you know, one AP could charge, you know, 120, 150, you know, for, for a one hour consultation. And you've got another AP charging maybe like 80, 90. So there's that discrepancy. So, and that, like you said, does devalue our service. And that's the other thing, especially for the new grads coming out. What, what they need to understand is how valuable our service is. And we're not just a physical service. You know, we're not just physical exercise professionals and experts. You know, we are experts in movement, but we are overall, um, you know, we transform people's health physically and mentally. You know, a lot of the times I've got clients who, you know, especially older clients, they just love having a chat and doing a little bit of exercise. You know, I mean, they just want someone to talk to. They might, you know, have things they want to kind of get off their chest. And, you know, you feel like, oh, I haven't done much exercise. You know, I've just spent talking. But that person got value out of the service. So when we start looking at ourselves um, more than just movement experts and actual well-being and transformation experts, then we will feel more confident in charging that, you know, premium price. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we need to understand that uh, because within our clinic, we don't prescribe any exercises in the initial assessment. We want to spend the whole time, yeah, building rapport with them, understanding their goals, and then we might do some some physical assessments. But then for the second session, they come back. So sometimes there might be, oh, all we did was chat, and I'm paying paying this amount. And you think about a psychologist, all you did was chat, and you're paying paying that amount. So it's it's you got to put value in the in the chat. It's, it's like what did we do today? It's 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 educating the client on this is what we've done. We've done some deep goal setting here. We've uncovered your your why for the very first time. We understand what your true motivator is now. We've understand how your how your body works. We know what your limitations are now. We've done this. We've assessed with this. We've done that. We've done that. And that's the value in it. So yes, we've just had a talk, but. This is the value I provided in that time. And this is why it's going to cost this amount. So I think we need to understand that. That's um, I think a lot of young EPs feel like we have to prescribe exercises. Otherwise it's not valuable session and young EPs will quickly chuck an exercise at the end. Like I don't want to leave them with nothing. I'll, I'll quickly give them this exercise and demonstrate it incorrectly. And they don't know how to do it. And they go away and, and get injured between the first and second session. So it's okay to take our time with things and understand our, our value, um, in the non-exercise prescription space is, is super important because yeah, we need to understand that. Yeah, definitely. I agree, mate. Like that's, that's a, that's a big issue that I had coming out. I felt like I had to do a, you know, a ton of exercise with clients. And then I started to realize, hang on, sometimes just using that, especially that initial to build that rapport because of that person, for that person to come back and feel comfortable with you, you need to have that rapport. So that's what I do as well. Like I would say 70 to 80% of my initial consultation is building rapport you know, with a small part, maybe I'll do a couple of physical assessments, you know, and, and maybe prescribe a couple of exercises if I can, or give them something to take away. But majority of that session, as you said, is building rapport and building relationships for them to feel comfortable coming back. I mean, you could spend 80% of the session giving exercises and be, you know, 
not interpersonal, not have any skills and then not feel comfortable around you, they won't come back because they don't feel comfortable. But if you make them feel comfortable, they will come back regardless yeah. of how much exercise you give them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Um, last question that um, I ask all, all my guests. In your eyes, your experiences, your values, your beliefs, everything you've experienced so far in your life, what makes the best exercise physiologist? What qualities, what skill sets, what characteristics? What would make the, the best? Yeah, I would say some of the stuff I mentioned. So first and foremost, the ability to communicate. Uh, that's probably, I would say, number one, your ability to build rapport with the client. You know, I know we say it over and over again, but it's so crucial. You know, you need to be able to be patient, be empathetic. Uh, you know, you'll, you're, you're going to have clients who, you got to remember, they might have a physical injury, but there's an emotional, uh, emotional, I guess, you know, result of that too. You know, you'll have clients that might cry in front of you, they may break down and you need to be able to handle that, you know, so you need to have the right skills, you know, to, to be able to handle that. I'm not saying it will happen a lot, it depends what areas you work in, you know, if you work in mental health or things like that, it might happen a bit more, but yeah, you need to have those skills to be able to be able to listen and be able to provide feedback and suggestions in a very strategic way where you're not telling them what to do as such but you're sort of working with them and guiding them if that makes sense so you know rather than saying you need to do this you just speak to them and say what would you feel comfortable doing create that conversation and then come to a kind of meet in the middle okay what do they need to do what do they feel comfortable doing how do i meet in the middle there so yeah so that i guess communication skills is probably essential I would say first and foremost, um, as well as your ability to work within a team, you know, your ability to communicate with your colleagues as well, not just the clients, you know, your ability to bounce ideas off each other, you know, be open to criticism or you know, constructive feedback, especially if you're, if you're fresh, you know, fresh out of university, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Be okay with making mistakes and just be open, be a sponge, you know, your, your team leaders or, you know, your bosses, they'll, they'll guide you and they'll tell you, hey, look, this is probably a better way to do that. Um, don't take that, you know, offensively take that. Okay, great. I'm going to take that on board because that's going to make you a better EP 100%. Um, and then your ability to network as well. Again, this all comes down to communication, you know, your ability and confidence to put yourself out there, you know, especially now you're very lucky at this day and age, you've got LinkedIn, LinkedIn fantastic for EPs and health professionals. I would say it's the number one platform, you know, first and foremost, I would say, you know, you can connect with whoever you want to, you can send them a voice message, you can send them a, you know, just a normal message, um, you know, and you can create that relationship. Going to networking events, like I said, is even better. So yeah, communicating, networking. And I'd also say, which can sometimes be forgotten, is practice what you preach. So you don't have to have the best physique as an EP, but I feel like some type of physical training in your own personal life, whether that's the gym, you know, you might go to Pilates, you might walk regularly, you might play sport, you know, whatever it is. I feel like, you know, you've got to kind of have something there because if you're going to tell clients, you know, if you're going to basically sell exercise, then you need to practice what you preach, if that makes sense, you know. And, and the other thing too is you're going to have days where you don't want to train, which is even better. I have those days. Sure, we all do. So that when a client is in that position, because most of the clients you see won't be motivated to train, you can share that story and be like, you know what? I felt the same way. Yesterday, I felt tired. I didn't want to train. All I did was I went to the gym. I went on my bike for five minutes. I stretched and I went home. So then you start becoming relatable with them. 
you know. So that's a bit hard to do if you're not someone who, you know, exercises regularly. So yeah, I would say that as well. And then obviously business development, like we mentioned before, podcasts and, and books and things like that. And if you're lucky enough, have a mentor. Excellent. For sure. Wow, mate. That's yeah. uh, a great summary of what makes the best EP. And I hope everyone was writing notes down there because, yeah, you tick all those off and you are, um, yeah, seen very highly in, in my books. If someone's doing all that, that's um, that sounds amazing. And I think it's a great summary. There's no, um, yeah, weren't missing any any points there. So awesome stuff, mate. Um, really appreciate the chat. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for being, uh, being on the podcast, mate. And um, where can listeners find more about you? And uh, I know you've got a podcast. Do you want to tell us the name of that as well? And I can um, put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. So my podcast is called EP Business School. So yeah, pretty much what the name suggests. We try to focus on, you know, producing um, content around the business side of things. So some of the stuff we basically talked about today, uh, some of solo episodes of myself just share my own sort of tips and experiences with also having guests on as well. So who share their, their experiences. And they're not always EPs. Um, you know, I recently had a podiatrist on, which was great as well. So it's always good to get, you know, a, a business perspective from someone who isn't, I guess, biased to EP as well. So that, that's really good. Um, so yeah, EP Business School. Uh, but if you want to reach out to me, the best way to get in contact with me is just through LinkedIn, just Aaron, I-S-H-A-C. I'm sure you'll put the, in, it in the notes. So yeah, just either that or, or the podcast pretty much awesome. reach out whenever you want. Perfect. Thank you so much, Aaron. Been absolute uh, gold, uh, some gold nuggets there for the listeners and I'm sure they'll take away and um, hopefully get implementing straight away. Thanks, Ryan. You're a legend. Man. I appreciate it. No worries, mate. Bye for now. Hey guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the EP Growth Podcast. If you would like to be mentored by one of the high-performing exercise physiologists at Hunter Rehab and Health, please visit epgrowthpodcast.com and click on the mentoring page to learn more. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends so we can ultimately grow this profession together. Thank you.